HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bend a Table, a monthly food subscription service for avid home cooks focused on delicious and sustainable pantry items. Learn more at bendatable.com. That's B-E-N-T-O-T-A-B-L-E.com. And when you use code HRN for a new subscription, you get $20 off, and we at HRN get $10. Bucks. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed Podcast. I'm Julie Resnick, co-founder of The Actual Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. I will be your host for season three of the Feed Feed Podcast, a special series called What's on Your Table. Each episode, I will be looking at a specific country, region, or people, and talking to a few members of the Feed Feed community about the food, recipes, ingredients, and flavors that make up the dishes that are always on their tables. Today marks the end of our Latinx Heritage Month celebration, and I'm joined by three special guests. First off, we have Bricia Lopez, a Mexican-American restaurateur and author. Bricia is the co-owner of Geligetza, a Oaxacan restaurant in Los Angeles. She is one of America's foremost authorities on Oaxacan culture and cuisine and is credited with helping popularize mezcal in the United States. Bricia lives with, in Los Angeles with her husband and two children. I'm also joined by Yvette Marquez Sharpnack, a Mexican-American on-camera host, home chef, Emmy award-winning producer and writer, and award-winning food blogger over at Muy Bueno Cooking. She is also the co-author of two cookbook, cookbooks. Yvette was born and raised in El Paso, Texas, and currently lives in beautiful Colorado with her husband and two children. And finally, we have Alejandro Graf from the blog Brown Sugar and Vanilla. Ale was born and raised in Mexico City until she was 16, and then she moved to Monterey, Mexico. She's been living in Texas for 10 years now with her husband and three kids. She began cooking clean, organic, 100% plant-based food for herself and her blog over 12 years ago. Welcome to the Feed Feed Podcast, ladies, and happy Latinx Heritage Month. Thanks Thanks for having us. 
thanks for having yeah, us. Yeah, thanks for being here. So, Bricia, I wanted to start with you. Um, you lived in Oaxaca until you were 10. I was wondering if you could share some of your earliest food memories from there as a child. It's a very challenging question to answer because I think that every memory I have of it as a child in Oaxaca revolves somehow around food. Um, and everything has to do around my mom or my grandma. Every I would walk home from school every day with my sister. And I remember vividly every single day, my mom would have a fresh home-cooked meal for me and a different agua fresca every single day. And every weekend, we go visit my grandma um, to her village in Mitla, where my parents live right now. And she would like murder a chicken. She would kill a chicken, sacrifice a chicken. I would say murder <laughs> sounds horrible. She would kill a chicken, sacrifice a chicken for her grandchildren. And she would make chicken barbacoa or caldo de pollo or something. Um, and it was just, it was just family and food. And I, I think like that really is what every child goes, goes um, what every child experiences when they grow up in Oaxaca. And I think that, when someone asks me that to me, just automatically goes to family, my grandma, my mom, and some sort of agua fresca and fresh cooked meal. Sounds amazing. Um, what are some of the um, ingredients that really define Oaxacan cuisine? Definitely smoky. I think I'm going to add smoky tones. I think when everybody thinks about Oaxacan food, automatically the two things that come to their mind are mezcal and mole, right? Mm -hmm. You think about uh, mole, the ingredients that go inside the mole, they get smoked first. Like the chiles, you 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 toast them and you smoke them, and it has that like hint of smoke and in, in in that flavor. The barbacoa, um, you know, we smoke it underground. The avocado leaves, those have very anisey, smoky flavors, some tones, and then of course you have mezcal, which is known as a you know quote unquote smoky tequila, which is really not, but it it has those those robust smoky flavors and I think that that really is the essence of Oaxacan cooking and I think that has to do with the with how cooking is how how cooking is done in Oaxaca primarily out of Ocomal and everything gets you know just charred and you know the the basically you cook with what you have um yeah. and, and 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 I think that you create these you create these meals that are so flavorful and so they're so easy to forget. I mean, they're, I mean, so, so hard to forget, sorry. Um, and, and they're, and they're done with, with very little, basically just fire and clay. Um, and I think that that really is what defines Oaxacan cooking. Awesome. Um, we'll come back to you in a couple minutes. I want to hear about sure. your move to Los Angeles and the restaurant. Um, but I'm going to jump over to Yvette for a couple of minutes. I know, Yvette, that you were influenced quite a bit by your grandmother, including even the name of your blog is inspired by her. Why don't you tell us a little bit about her heroic escape from Mexico back in 1906? <laughs> I used to love, you know, as a, you know, I grew up with my mom, who's a single parent mom, and my grandma, who lived next door. So when I wasn't at home, I was at my grandma's house, which was usually the majority of the time because my mom was working. Mm -hmm. So I used to just love sitting with my grandma while she would be making homemade flour tortillas or whatever she was doing in the kitchen and just hearing stories of her childhood. And that was one of my favorite stories. She would tell me how during the Mexican Revolution, 
um, Pancho Villa and his soldiers would go and eat frequently at their family's ranch. And so they became, you know, family friends with them. And, but after a few months of them coming to visit and my grandma's family cooking for them, one day he decided that he wanted their ranch. And basically, um, it was a very scary time for her because she said that they had her father hanging from a tree, an uncle hanging from a tree, and another cousin who were basically saying, we're going to kill you all if you don't hand over your ranch. So thankfully, one of Pancho Villa's other soldiers said, you know, what are you doing? They've been feeding us. They're our friends. Like, let's just let them go. So they literally had to leave in a horse and carriage with all of the children and flee their ranch, which my grandma loved. She had so many beautiful memories of her ranch. They would, um, her father would grow sotol, which is kind of similar to like tequila or mezcal, Mm -hmm. um, but kind of the Chihuahua Mexico version of alcohol. And, um, and so she had beautiful memories of that ranch and for her to leave at 10 years old and to remember every single part of that journey. I just used to love that story. I mean, it's just was such an incredible story. Amazing. And so you spent a lot of time with her in her kitchen after school and on weekends. Um, tell us some of the favorite recipes and techniques that she taught you over the years. For sure, her flour tortillas, that was her staple dish that she had with every single meal. Like when you'd walk into my grandma's home, you could smell freshly made flour tortillas or chile roasting. She always had um, fresh chile, whether it be, you know, hatched chile from New Mexico or Anaheim chile or jalapenos, always roasting on the comal to make homemade salsa every day and always a fresh pot of beans. So um, there was always something cooking or simmering on the stovetop. And in terms of the, of the name of your blog, can you give us a little background? Why do you call your blog Muy Bueno Cooking? Yeah, initially, when my daughter was the one who gave me the idea to write a cookbook. And, um, and so at the time, I just wanted to write a simple family cookbook, like on Shutterfly. I figured, oh, it would be cute to do a little family cookbook. And so I talked to my mom, I was like, let's write down all of our recipes. Because of course, if you ask any of us on the podcast today, I'm sure all of our moms or grandmas never wrote down any recipes. So, um, you know, I said, okay, we really need to write these recipes down. And, you know, that way we can pass them on to, you know, my daughter Maya and just have it for the family. And as me and my mom were thinking of names, you know, it was so funny because we're, you know, we said, okay, let's think of a name and then call each other and we'll, you know, come up with a good name. And at the same time, we both called each other and we're like, okay, you say the name. No, you say the name. (laughs) And finally, at the same time, we said muy bueno, which is what my grandma would always say. She would say, siéntate a comer, está muy bueno, which means sit down and eat. It's very good. That's how she welcomed all of friends or family that would come in the door. No matter, she would always find a way to scrap up something and feed the masses. So muy bueno. Every time we hear it, I just hear my grandma's voice all the time. Oh, I love that story. Um, and I love her confidence too, because so many cooks, um, you know, don't necessarily have the confidence to say, sit down and eat, you know, it's very mm-hmm. delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it tells a little bit about her, um, probably her personality and her energy and, and everything that she was all about. So I love that story. Um, mm-hmm. 
Thanks for sharing. So I'm going to jump over to Ale. Um, you were born and raised in Mexico City, and I'll ask you the same question that I asked Bricia, which is, you know, what are some of your early food memories from life there as a child? Oh, my God. Um, as Bricia said, I mean, so many, but uh, I always remember getting home from school and always that table was already set up and we just sat down and have dinner as a family because in Mexico City you eat your main meal in the whole Mexico not just Mexico City is like at three o'clock in the afternoon and then you have a lighter meal at night like at 7:38. so as soon as we got back from school uh, we sat as a family and um, my dad always was there my two brothers my mom and we always had agua fresca and always freshly made but corn tortillas not flour tortillas and always uh, salsa and it was a fun time it always uh, food brings me very good memories as a family and moments it, it brings up so many good moments oh that's awesome um and i'm wondering you know so you've been in the united states now um for what over 10 years correct 10 years yeah, yeah. this august uh we Yes, in August, we turned 10 years living here. Wow. So how has your cooking style changed since you moved to the U.S.? Is it the same or have you kind of evolved how you cook since you've been living here? No, it definitely has evolved. Um, I took a course as a plant-based uh, professional cook. So that really gave me all the basis to really cook um, like better. Before that, I was cooking vegan and vegetarian, but just with what I got, the ingredients I got here in the States, I have uh, more ingredients than I had in Mexico. In Mexico, when I started being vegan and cooking vegan, it was like 15 years ago or more. So um, there were not a lot of options for me, but I mean, it was good because I got very creative with all the ingredients that I had and get got to transform everything, right? That's great. And so your blog is a plant-based blog. Can you tell us maybe what are one or two of the favorite recipes um, that you've published on your blog that have really resonated with your readers? Yes, I have one soup, well, two soups that it's a very typical soup in Mexico that you make the broth with tomato, onion, and garlic. And I use water or vegetable broth, but in Mexico, normally it's used, it's made with um, chicken broth or beef broth. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know if you even say it like that. You say chicken broth, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, chicken broth. Okay. Uh, and, um, and it has chickpeas and carrots. That's one. And the other one, it's like a lentil soup. It's a vegan Mexican lentil soup. And it's the same recipe that my mom made when I was growing up, but my mom added um, sausages in there and I swapped the sausages for carrots. So now we have uh, the vegan version of it. Oh, sounds delicious. I'll have to check that one out. So I'm wondering, yeah. um, in terms of the afternoons when you would come home from school and your family would sit down and have a nice lunch together, is that a tradition that you have integrated into your family's life here in the U.S., or do you kind of hold a traditional dinner in the evening time with your family? 
It depends. I mean, my kids are all in, well, I have one in college and the other two are in high school. So it depends. But normally in the weekends, we love to eat like at four, four thirty, And we have like mm-hmm. a more traditional um, Mexican kind of dinner. My parents at my parents' house, we always had like a, a soup and then the main meal and then the dessert. And then there was, and if somebody was invited for to, to have lunch or dinner, whatever with us, we always had like appetizers before. And it was like a very, um, not formal, but, um, but, but a very long, long thing to do yep. long. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it took us a lot of time. Right. So during the weekends, we do that. We usually love to welcome everybody that like all my kids, um, friends know that our house is always open for them and then they can come and have dinner, lunch, whatever with us. And it takes us forever, like just sitting down and talking and everything. So I love that. This episode is brought to you by Bend a Table, a monthly food subscription service for avid home cooks focused on delicious and sustainable pantry items. Bend a Table is founded by Ben Simon, a longtime food lover, advocate, and experimenter. Ben goes around the country finding the stuff that you would buy if you were vacationing somewhere cool like Charleston or California, and he buys it for you and sends it to you in a box. Bend a Table has three different subscription plans. One, pantry essentials, incredible dry staples each month. Rancho Gordo beans, Geechee Boy grits, and community grain pastas. All excellent, by the way. Global Delicacies is another choice, and it's a way to explore the cuisine of different countries and cultures. Delicacy boxes might include razor clams from Spain, tinned, obviously, wheat lacoche from Mexico, or grilled artichokes in oil from Italy. Bend a Table includes both the Pantry Essential and the Global Delicacy Plan. By purchasing any subscription, you'll help sustainable, well-produced ingredients and small producers stay alive in today's big business environment. Start your monthly subscription at bendatable.com. That's B-E-N-T-O-T-A-B-L-E.com. Use the discount code HRN to get $20 off a new subscription, and Bend a Table will donate $10 to support all of HRN's programming. Okay, so Bricia, I'm going to head back over to you. Um, I've had the pleasure of eating at Gelligetza in Los oh, Angeles. Thank you. Thank you and so much. It was a delicious meal, and I have your cookbook, and I got to meet some of your siblings when I was there. Um, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit. So you moved to the U.S. when you were around 10, and your parents opened the restaurant. Um, tell us what that was like growing up, um, you know, as part of a family uh, run and owned business. Yeah, for sure. So moving to LA, I absolutely loved it. Like I grew up in Oaxaca watching Say by the Bell and Full House. <laughs> Obviously, they were all dubbed, they were all in Spanish, but, um, you know, in love with Zach Morris and Uncle Jesse and everything that had to do with having a locker and just this idea of there was a lot of American TV consumed um, in Mexico. So I definitely knew about Los Angeles and Hollywood. And I just, I I don't know why, but I was always drawn to, oh my gosh, maybe one day I would move there. In fact, when my sister and I would play make believe, we would just play that we were pretend sisters, even though we were sisters (laughs) and that we would speak English and that we lived in LA. So we totally spoke our future into existence back then 
And in Oaxaca, there was only one McDonald's that had just opened when we, oh uh, a year before we moved. And there was the one McDonald's and there was a very fancy and expensive place to go. In fact, we celebrated my sister's first uh, birthday party there. And I remember uh, having that uh, little Happy Meal box in my room as decor and I didn't want anyone to touch it. Like I <laughs> loved it. So when I moved here, and I saw there were McDonald's everywhere. I was like, oh, my God, I have arrived. Um, and, <laughs> you know, just watching Power Rangers and learning how to speak English and going to school. I I, I loved it. I loved it. A lot. I loved it. But at the same time, it was that, that same amount of enthusiasm was met with a very deep. Uh, I was very saddened because I wasn't able to play and be a child anymore. I had a great childhood in Oaxaca and I'm very thankful for the time we spend there. But when we moved here, I felt like that was it. I had to grow up very fast. We had to work every single day. We didn't really have a day off. In fact, I don't know how to do, I'm, I'm, there's like zero athleticism in my body just because we could, we were not allowed to do any after school sports or any after school activities. It was just work. I don't remember my parents even caring much about my grades, to be honest with you, um, because they were always so busy. Right. Thankfully, thankfully, I went to college and I turned out all right. <laughs> but it was just work and school, work, work, work. Um, and weekends, I I didn't get to go to my prom because I had to work. I you know I, I didn't really get to have those trips that you know there's your senior trip or you know when everybody came back from school in the summers, everybody would talk about where they went for the summer. And I would just say, oh, well, I actually just worked all summer. Um, but I think that taught me so much about what it means to be an immigrant in this country and, and allowed me to see what my parents were able to achieve. And I was so inspired. Obviously, I didn't see that as a child. You know, I hated going to the restaurant. But now as an adult, I'm just so thankful that I was able that I grew up seeing that because it just teaches me so much about resilience and it makes me appreciate so much the people that work with me today. Um, knowing that, you know, knowing like the amount of love that they have for the work they do every day. That's interesting. And so then um, how long ago was it that you and your siblings took over the restaurant from your parents? Um, yeah, it was about, I want to say about seven years ago now, you know, sometimes time is like weeks. I, I feel like a year just flew by. So I think it's, about seven, eight years that my parents retired. My parents live in Oaxaca now. Um, they live in Mitla and they're happy and they have a little farm and they raise lamb and they have like 25 turkeys now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they just, you know, they're, they're, they're just enjoying life and, you know, feeling very proud that they have, you know, that they kind of paved the way for their children and, um, they didn't leave on their terms. I mean, they, they kind of had to leave just because, you know, they, really had gone through a really bad uh, period with the last recession this country saw and my dad lost pretty much everything and he was just left with this one restaurant and my siblings and I you know bought it from him and told them you know it's time for you to retire um and yeah we again we bought the business for my family they left and my siblings and I took it over and you know took it to we transformed it into what Galaguetza is today. 
Yeah. I mean, that was what I was going to ask you. I mean, what did you, it seems like you changed a lot and you brought a lot of kind of youth and energy and excitement into the restaurant, but also kind of kept the roots um, that your parents have established there. Um, Tell us a little bit about kind of that transition from your parents' version of the restaurant to what it is today. Yeah. You know, I would say that a lot of things that what remained the same and remains the same to this day is the menu and the recipes. Obviously, the recipes have evolved and not in not in flavor per se. But, you know, we are the chefs that come by really, you know, put their signature in 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 the flavor. Mm-hmm. But the recipes are traditional Oaxaca recipes that, you, like you mentioned in the book, that you can find in the book. This, these are recipes that if you're able ever able to travel to Oaxaca, these are the recipes that you walk into anyone's home and someone has a version of this recipe in their family, in their family history, or, oh, my aunt makes this and my mom makes this. So they're very traditional, iconic Oaxacan recipes, and they still are. We've, we, we haven't um, messed with the, with, with the essence of what our Oaxacan food is. Um, but the way it's changed, I would say, is just the spirit of the restaurant, right? I mean, the way the way we we do business, the way that um, the way that we manage our our teams, the way that we the, the decor is still kind of the same. Obviously, when I see pictures of back in the day, I'm like, oh wow, yeah, it really does look like a different restaurant. But to me, it just looks oh, it looks very similar because I grew up in it so I see it every day but looking back yeah we changed you know that we put murals outside inside we changed the color scheme we added a bar I mean you know things that we that reflect who we are and you know things that I as a consumer would like to see when it goes somewhere but again remain maintaining that Oaxacan essence that that makes us who we are you know we're a family restaurant that serves traditional Oaxacan cooking um not authentic because everything's like authentic it's authentically us because everybody has their own version of what that is Mm -hmm. but it's just the food that my mom made for us um and I think that you know I think that's I think and I think there's sort of a resurgence of for that love right especially right now of like that comfort food those 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 flavors and those dishes that we grew up cooking that aren't so elaborate i mean they are elaborate but they're not new but they're you know that old traditional those old traditional recipes yep so i guess last question and then i'll move on is what is your favorite recipe on the menu oh that's hard that's like asking like which child do i like the most it really (laughs) depends it's like it it depends Depends on your mood yeah it depends on what i'm having you know depends like it it's so so hard but i always tell people that you know, um, a great recipe to start with, like a great mole to start with, is for mole estofado because that's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a mo, it's a, it's an approachable mole that it doesn't require that many chiles and you're not roasting and, you know, roasting and toasting forever and um, smoke and set your fire alarm on. Um, and I, and it is very approachable and delicious and it, it, it kind of, it's like the gateway for you to say, okay, I feel a little bit more confident Then let me, go and do a mole amarillo, then a verde, and then eventually graduate to the coloradito, the, the rojo, and the negro. 
Yum. I, I need to make a mole again sometime soon. I'm going to pull out your cookbook. For sure. For sure. Uh, Let me know. I will. Uh, Yvette, so tell us a little bit about your recipe development process. Um, do you always go back to your memories of your time in the kitchen with your grandma and your mom? And are you always inspired by the past or do some of your experiences with your children and, um, you know, even living in Colorado influence what you make and, and cook on the blog? Yeah, I think it's definitely all about the seasons and what's in season. Like for right now, I'm on a big chile kick. So right now, um, hatch chile is in mm -hmm. season. And being that I live in Colorado, there's kind of a big feud between Colorado chile from Pueblo and New Mexico hatch chile. So it's kind of funny when I first moved here, I was oh, like, no, there's, there's no such thing as anything else but hatch. But, <laughs> but um, here in Colorado, they grow a very delicious long green chile. And um, so just like, for instance, this weekend, we went and drove to Pueblo, which is like an hour, half, hour and a half away and just stocked up on like two bushels of chile. So right now that's like my thing. I'm like cooking everything with chile. Um, so I just love that. I mean, and then also with pumpkin season, I always try and think of, you know, not only the old school, you know, empanadas or pumpkin soups or, you know, I've even made pumpkin tamales. So I try and think of things that are traditional and the recipes that I grew up eating, like pumpkin tamales, but trying to figure out, um, I mean, pumpkin empanadas, but trying to figure out maybe an easier version that the everyday person can do that maybe doesn't have the full time to do a full on recipe. So I tr always try and share shortcuts, um, you know, whether you want to do like a canned pumpkin versus, you know, cutting and cooking a full on pumpkin. So, um, so I do a little bit of everything where it's, you know, the old school way, but trying to add some modern twists, but it's usually anything that I cook has a Latin twist. I love that. And what are some of the recipes that really resonate with your readers? What are some of the most popular recipes that you see them making time and again? For sure, the old classics, just like Ale said, um, right now, soups are really big. So caldo de pollo, which is a chicken soup. You know, everybody, I think, has their own version of a traditional chicken soup. But, you know, there's just a different version when it comes to caldo de pollo, you know, just a, a little bit of different seasonings and spices that go into a Mexican version. That one's really popular. Um, and like I said, it all depends on the season of what's popular on the blog. But right now, soups are in season and tamales. Like everybody's already starting to look on how to make tamales. And a lot of economical dishes like sopa de fideo. Um, is just like very, I always, I say it's like a, a Mexican version of packaged top ramen, but a lot yummier, <laughs> but it's just an economical dish that is just so comforting. So a lot of comfort food um, and a lot of, you know, fall flavored dishes right now are popular on the blog. That's great. Um, and your second cookbook was actually a cocktail cookbook, correct? Right. <laughs> so um, tell us a little bit about the inspiration for that. And do you, do you like to make a lot of cocktails? How how'd you decide to uh, write a cocktail cookbook? Um, what was funny is it, it kind of wasn't even a planned 
book that I wanted to do. Um, I co-authored the book with Vianney, who's a blogger over at sweetlifebake.com. And, you know, when her and I met, I used to love following her blog and she used to make, or she still does make all kinds of margaritas. And I was like, you need to write a margarita book. And I felt like I was so (laughs) high and mighty after writing Muy Bueno, thinking I knew it all. (laughs) And thinking, I could help you. I could show you how to write a proposal. I could talk to my publisher. I was like super excited to think of how she can write a cocktail book. Um, And so then just in talking with her and seeing her excitement about writing a book, you know, later I was thinking, you know, what would be awesome? I don't know if you want to do this, but maybe we can team up and write a cocktail book together. And then that way, it's just kind of our whole, both of our loves of cocktails, not only margaritas, but just, Mm -hmm. you know, different cocktails from all of Latin America and Spain. So that's kind of how it all started. And so it wasn't really something initially that it was like a dream to write a cocktail book. But when we started it, it was just so much fun to just research, you know, different spirits from different countries and, you know, trying to figure out substitutions for, you know, certain liquors if they're not available here. So, yeah, so it's it's a fun, beautiful cocktail book because it's just so colorful. There's a photo with every um, cocktail and it's just, it's, it's very educational as well, just, you know, with geography and, you know, sharing a little bit of history with Latin America. That's great. I know that the title is Latin Twist, Traditional Mm -hmm. and Modern Cocktails for anyone who's listening that wants to pick up a copy. Um, And actually, that kind of ties back to a question that I have uh, for you, Bricia, which is um, in your bio, it says that you helped to popularize mezcal in the U.S. Tell us how you how did you go about doing that? Is it just because you guys were putting amazing uh, mezcal cocktails on on the menu? It's a very long, funny story. Uh, so I, again, like you mentioned, I'm from Oaxaca. My whole family makes mezcal. Uh, but that's very normal. If you're from Oaxaca and if you're from Matatlan, from where I'm from, pretty much you like you make mezcal. Or if you don't make mezcal, your cousin makes mezcal, your uncle makes mezcal, or somebody makes mezcal. So I, my dad was a mezcal maker. My grandpa was a mezcal maker. And when we lived in Oaxaca, that's what my dad did for a living. So when he came to the U.S. Um, and opened his restaurant in Los Angeles, he served mezcal, and he that's all he knew. Yep. And that's all people from Oaxaca crave and what we want, and that's what, how like that's what we identify as our drink. Yep. So it's like yeah. So oh. is it? And this is like way. This is like '95 when mezcal cocktail scene was not even close to being a thing. It was. Yeah. They were mezcal was the poor person's drink, but we loved it, and that's you know we claimed it as our own. And I went to I took a trip to Oaxaca. Um, I I want to say this was like ten years ago, maybe like twelve years ago, and I went to a food festival and I um, attended this wonderful comida. It's like a, a big kind of like a comida is like a party yet not really but everybody eats and drinks and uh they were a dozen mezcal makers and they all presented their their annual mis- uh their annual uh bottle what they had just bottled and when they presented i it was the first time i i heard mezcal being described the way they described it and it was so similar to the way 
I had heard so many sommeliers describing wine. Yeah. And as I was tasting it, it was I was tasting something I hadn't tasted before. I was when I lived in LA and we would get mezcal, the bot the bottles were very limited. There were only maybe two brands that we would get. And it all started to taste the same after a while. But when I went to Oaxaca and I tasted these, it was like my mind was blown and it was it was like I had opened a door inside my brain and my soul that led me into an entire other world. And I, when I, when I came back to LA, I just kind of made it my message to figure out how we could, how we could talk more about mezcal and how we can get more brands to LA and more brands to my restaurant. Selfishly is because I wanted to drink more of that <laughs> stuff for myself. And little by little, and not just myself, but there were so many mezcal makers, uh, so many, you know, um, people that were starting to feel the same way I did. We started getting more bottles. We started getting more brands, not more bottles, but a lot more brands started to um, being introduced to Los Angeles. And I would just gift mezcal to people. Like I would get a special batch made for myself and I would just grab a bunch of bottles. I would, I would go to this bottle store. I would bottle this mezcal and I would like send it as thank instead of sending thank you notes i would send these like little mezcal bottles with like a thank you note on them and that was like what i became known for and oh, i love that uh, local bartenders would started naming drinks after me and they would start falling in love with mezcal and it just became like this whole time and it was the same time when a lot of people were starting their food blogs and there was a lot more of this little um you know this internet twitter culture the food world started you know kind of happening mm-hmm. and in the middle of it was this girl who would just like give me style to people, which was me. <laughs> and that's how it all started. Now I kind of, then it took it live on its own. Then after, then I had like zero to do with anything. Uh, I was just, I just wanted to, I just wanted to make sure I had great mezcal at my restaurant. And now it's, now it's just, now it's just like, that's why they now, now you can order on Postmates, yeah. you know? So <laughs> it's, it's, um, uh, and it's, you know, it's great. And I, it just, it's, it's way, it's gone ahead of me. You know, it's either brands that I, people like texting, like, it's just good. I'm like, I have no idea what that, <laughs> what that brand is. <laughs> That's great. Well, I, I, I appreciate your efforts. Um, I love Moscow. So um, I definitely uh, enjoy it frequently. So thank you. Um, all right. I'm going to jump over to Ali. I have a question for you that I'm going to ask everyone. Um, but I'll start with you. And it's what are the three ingredients that you always have on hand? It could be something in your fridge, something in your freezer, something in your pantry. And it can be more than three if there are three or four or five. Um, just really what defines you as um, a cook and um, ingredients that you always have? Okay. I always have cilantro. Mm-hmm. I love to finish dishes with cilantro, to cook with cilantro, do everything with cilantro. I always have onion, garlic, um, lemon, mm-hmm. I, limes, and uh, chiles. I cook a lot with uh, serrano, with jalapeños, with dried chiles, chipotle. Um, I think that obviously rice and beans and all of that, right? But with those ingredients, I can make tons of dishes, different dishes. Love it. Um, how about you, Yvette? Yeah, very similar. I mean, (laughs) tomato, onions, garlic, a variety of chiles. I mean, I have a garden as well, which is really nice. And right now it's 
I'm, I'm sad because things are starting to not grow anymore here. So we have our limited growing time, but um, tomatoes and chile from the garden are just amazing. Um, and then just, I do a lot of pinto beans. So that's kind of my pantry staple with, as well as dried chile. So a variety of different chiles. Love that. And Brisa? Ah, uh, I mean, that's, <laughs> is it like, is it bad to say like, I always have eggs and milk? <laughs> just no. because it's a, and cheese <laughs> cheese tortillas uh and some sort of salsa so i can just in worst case scenario just give my son a quesadilla so like here i have a quesadilla i don't have time to cook no, i'm just kidding uh, tortillas always um both corn and uh flour mm -hmm. uh for a while i I, I actually right now I always have masarina like corn masarina yep. because uh sometimes the tortillas if they're kept for a very long time in the fruits like I they become hard and I, I just don't like them um, and I think a lot of people forget how easy it is to make your own tortillas at home just by using masarina and it, it's way easier than making pancakes I always tell that to people like it's way easier to make a fresh tortilla than to make a pancake so why don't you just you know just just do, do it, it once and you'll do just do it yeah. once and you'll see how easy it is. So I always have masarina. Um I love I I have this like love affair with vinegars. I have I don't know, I have so many types of vinegars in my in my pantry. I especially love like the citrus champagne vinegar because I think that when you can find when your limes or when your limes or your lemon tree is just not they're they're not it's not there or when the lime that you bought two weeks ago, it's kind of like turning that weirdly yellow and yep. you don't know what to do with it. And you cut it and you're like, oh, it tastes really bad. Yeah. Um, adding like a citrus vinegar is a great substitute. Uh, and so I think like those are the kind of things. And of course, like canned chiles are my jam. I love, this is like not even like a paid plug or anything, but I love La Morena um pickled jalapenos or chipotle like that's that's like my thing uh and my see my my mouth water is just thinking about it <laughs> um but the la morena jalapenos and rajas like the sliced pickled jalapenos the, if you find if someone finds the red ones because the, they most the, the most widely available is the green jalapenos but yeah. if you find the red ones oh they are so good and of course it's chipotle but i always have um, because worst case scenario, like I'll just make myself a scrambled egg with onions and ham and make myself a tortilla and just put a bunch of pickled jalapenos and it's so oh, delicious. <laughs> I think I'm going to make that for dinner. Oh, so good. Um, okay. So one last question is just around, um, you know, chefs and other bloggers and social media, you know, it, that is how we've all come together and gotten to know each other over the years through social media. Um, I'm just curious if there are other Mexican restaurants or Latinx content creators and bloggers and chefs that you think that our audience would be interested in following along or going to their restaurant, um, you know, when people are traveling again. Ale, I'll start with you. Oh my God, I have so many in my mind that, um, can we start with somebody else? <laughs> How about you, Eva? Um, I'm thinking as far as people to follow on, on social media, I love Marcela Valladolid. She's just so inspiring, not only just with, I mean, just 
her lifestyle is so beautiful and how she decorates and how she cooks and, um, you know, her, her health journey. And I mean, so she's just inspiring in that way for me. She doesn't have a restaurant. Um, but you know, if you're looking for somebody on social media with Mexican food, and then also I love following Aaron Sanchez just cause he's from El Paso. And I love that he has kind of that same history of coming from El Paso and the same type of Mexican cuisine that, um, that I grew up enjoying. Great. How about you, Priscia? Uh, so hard. So hard. That's such a hard question. Um, restaurants here in Los Angeles. Um, Guerrilla Tacos is such a great restaurant. Uh, I love I love that place. I love this place, little place called uh, Cacao Mexicatessen here in Los Angeles as well. When you talk about Mexican, Chichen Itza, incredible as well. I would say like those are my go-to Mexican places um, uh, when I go out and eat. As far as people to follow, I'm going to echo uh, what Yvette said. And of course, like Marcela is like the ultimate. I love her. Uh, Patty Jinich. I always forget the way you say her last name. Uh, I know it's Jewish. Um, she's awesome. Chadet uh, yeah. Cepeda is great. Um, I love Yoselin, um, uh, who is the owner of Todo Verde. I love her too. Uh, oh my gosh, there's so many wonderful women who are doing incredible things in our space. Um, uh, and of course, these two beautiful ladies who are on the call, <laughs> who I love and follow as well and read their blog often. So, yeah. And Ale, how about you? Yeah. yeah. You know, there's this uh, account to follow on social that it's called Aires. She's not food, but she has props, and she makes the most beautiful things ever. She It's Iris with a Y. Okay. And she makes, like, molcajetes from, vol uh, from wood and volcanic stone, and she has very, very beautiful Mexican props, and she's very modern, but uh, traditional, like utensils, but made in a modern way. Oh, it's that. so beautiful. It's called Iris, and I also love... Uh, what Bricia and Yvette, I love you girls, and I love uh, Marcela, I love also Patti Hinich, Daniela Sotoines, I love her. Um, obviously, I love Enrique Olvera, I love, um, there's this tiny restaurant in Mexico City called Los Losers. They have a, an, a, an Instagram page, and it's Mexican Fusion uh, Cuisine with I think it's Japanese or Chinese something like that and it's so so good I've been there um, there's so many it's such a hard question because there is so much talent out there mm -hmm. well thank you so much and I really appreciate you all taking some time out of your busy schedules to talk to me today um, this wraps our special feature series on Latinx Heritage Month and I've loved hearing each and every one of your stories about your families where you came from and the food that is always on your table Thanks for listening to the Feed Feed podcast. To more, learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure and follow us on Instagram and follow our guests from today as well. If you have a food story to tell or you want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur about a specific country, region, and its cuisine, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time.
The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.